Um, and I've worked for every kind of radio station you can think of. I've, I've done mornings and afternoons and overnights. I've been on uh, top 40 radio, dance mixes, uh, country radio, talk radio, oldies, classic rock. I mean, you, you, you pick the format and I've done it. Holy Batman, that's a lot of radio. I know you thought this was a kidlit podcast, but we're switching to radio guests now. Just kidding. How meta. Welcome to Make Contributor Verse, a set of conversations with creators we value. That was today's guest, Matt Forrest Essenwine, talking about his radio career and the instrumental role it played in guiding him to kidlit. You may be familiar with some of his books, Flashlight Night, illustrated by the incredible Fred Kaler. Search the archives for that episode. Once Upon Another Time, co-written with Charles Ginga and illustrated by Andres Lendazabal. Don't Ask a Dinosaur, co-written by Deborah Bruss and illustrated by Louis Chin and countless others. If you're not familiar with Matt's work, well, make that happen. His lyrical style and imaginative text makes each book a work of art, really. And what a pleasure it was talking with him today. Not only is he super talented, but he's a really nice guy. We could use more of those in the world, so thanks for that, Matt. Because of Matt's radio background, this may be the most pleasant thing you listen to all week. It's also why this episode runs a bit longer than usual, but I promise it's totally worth it. So let's get to it. We talked to him today about his books, how his 25-year career in radio prepared him for a career in kidlit, and about being an introverted extrovert. I'm Brenna Jenneret, children's lit author, mother, rock climber, and outdoor enthusiast, and co-host of You May Contribute a Verse. My co-host is Josh Funkin, a children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster. Our guest today is Matt Forrest Essenwein. You can find Matt basically anywhere, but the best place to start is mattforrest.com. That's M-A-T-T-F-O-R-R-E-S-T.com. You can also find him on Twitter at VW. Before we get started, the release of Matt's new book, I Am Today, has been pushed to December 21st. We talk about it in the podcast, and the original date was November 30th, so make sure to mark your calendars. Pre-order his book today, for real, it would make an amazing Christmas gift for anyone on your list. Links are on his website. Here's Matt's verse. Because I'm still a, I'm still a dad. I mean, the, the kids are in school now, but I, I still have responsibilities. I'm washing laundry and doing dishes and, and taking care of them and you know, when they get home, if I'm helping them with homework or whatever and making dinner, I'm doing all the stuff while my wife is, is the primary breadwinner. But, but the children's writing has really taken off faster than I thought it would. And I'm grateful for that. So I've got these, these two careers that I'm trying to balance, but, uh, you know, children's writing ends up, it, it ends up edging out the voiceover work when it comes right down to it. Cause I just, I really enjoy it. What is it that, about the children's writing that edges it out? Is there, because so, so much of, of children's writing for, for us who are pre-publication is about generating your own, your own ideas mm-hmm. and pushing for that. What is it for you? The, the demand for Matt is high. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think there's, there's two parts to it. One is... Yeah, I, I love doing both. I, ever since I was a kid, I was always, I, I, now that I think about it, I was actually kind of an, I don't know if you'd say I was an oxymoron or, or what, but I, I've always joked with people that I'm I'm an introverted extrovert or either mm-hmm. I'm an extroverted introvert. I, I've always been the type to just stay to myself and, um, you know, I just go to the high school dance, you know, who's, who's the kid sitting along the wall? That was me. Hi. Um, you know, I just, I never really, you know, I was not one to, to walk into a room and and have everybody light up and be the life of the party. Um, 
but in radio, you, you kind of are when you're doing these, you know, a lot of these events. We would host, um, and I've worked for every kind of radio station you can think of. I've, I've done mornings and afternoons and overnights. I've been on uh, top 40 radio, dance mixes, uh, country radio, talk radio, oldies, classic rock. I mean, you, you, you pick the format and I've done it. And especially when you're doing country and, and even more so top 40 radio, where it's all the, the hot hits and you're doing dance remixes and call and request shows. And then we're, we're doing club events and these wild parties and things that you're hosting. And I'm on stage introducing um, some of the, the artists that are coming to the, you know, that are putting on, uh, you know, you're, you're on stage emceeing concerts with, you know, all these different artists. You, you sort of put on your, your game face. And mm-hmm. So I, and, and I love doing that. But it, it was sort of acting to me. I'm not. I'm not really that big. Hey, everybody, look at me. Here's here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. I'm happy that I'm not doing that as much as I loved radio. Uh, but I still spend a lot of time doing advertising and marketing. I mean, I, I was on air, but I was also the production director for an eight station radio group, and uh, so I oversaw all the commercial production. I didn't do it all, but I oversaw all the commercial production. I did a lot of the uh, writing of the commercials, um, but I, but I've loved writing. I've been writing ever since I was a kid. I, I cleaned out my parents' uh, house a couple of years ago. They had to go to the nursing home. So I'm an only child cleaning out a house of 60 plus years of married life. And they kept every oh, wow. paper of mine because I was an only child, you know, so they kept every school paper, every class, every year. And I came across this book of poems that I had written. It was like five poems that I stapled together for mom. And I was probably Aww. maybe 10 or 11. And I was thinking, oh, this is so cute. You know, it's so, they're, so, they're so awful, but it's so cute. <laughs> and so, you know, to, to, to say, you know, why does, why does writing edge out the, the voiceover? I mean, I really love the voiceover, but I, I like the creative aspect of voiceover. And so when you're doing a, a lot of voiceover work is... Uh, the car commercials or corporate narrations or on hold messaging or audiobooks. I really like acting, voice acting. So if I'm if I get to be a character, uh, I've done some um, some museum recordings where like you know you're in a museum and you push the button and then there's this audio of a of a battle scene or something that comes on and you hear the the soldiers talking things like that. Like I've done that and, and that's fun. But I really enjoyed the writing and I, I never realized until I got into children's lit that all this writing of, of poems and things through school, I, I think my first my first poem was published when I was either a sophomore or junior in high school. The, the local college literary magazine was accepting submissions. So I submitted something and they published it. So I've been writing like adult-oriented poems almost forever and writing like, thousands of radio commercials and some TV commercials mm-hmm. too, but tons and tons of radio commercials. I never realized that all this short-form writing was was preparation for writing children's lit because that that's what you know picture books and children's poetry is all about and i know so many people who are are writing picture books and they struggle to get a a, a word count down they're like oh i'm trying mm-hmm. to shooting for three to five hundred and i've got like eight hundred or a thousand words i'm trying to shave it down that is ne- honestly that's never a problem for me like i finish a book i'm like oh it's it's got a hundred words I think I need to flesh this out a little bit more. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, like all, all of this experience that I've had writing poems and writing, wrote a lot of songs, you know, when I was younger and, and, and all these commercials that I've been writing, all of it has, has led up to this, 
this children's lit career. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the boundless creativity I, I can have with this. It occurs to me too, as you're talking about being an introverted extrovert, you know, that it can be so draining when you're the center of attention or when you're like, you know, when everything kind of hinges on you, but if you're in the back as an actor or being a writer, right? Like, I mean, we all know who Amy Dykeman is, right? Because she, we're in that world. Right. But I wouldn't necessarily recognize her on the street. You know, I oh, would oh, recognize, sure. right? I would recognize her writing, and I, like your voice is very, very um, recognizable, right? It's like I would, I would recognize that if I listened to your radio show, if I saw you somewhere else, I would mm-hmm. recognize that and be like, oh, that's that's Matt. Like I know him, right? Right. But. As a writer, you can sort of be famous, you know, quote unquote famous, but like, you know, sort of under the radar. So you kind of get that introverted extrovert is kind of perfect for children's book writing, you know, because you can be super creative and really push the boundaries, but not not have it be so like energy draining, I guess. You know, you can do it at your own pace. And Um, and it's funny because I I would uh, I would go to a, a restaurant or you know, grocery store in the, in the checkout line and, and people would say, you know, this sounds really weird, but you sound familiar. Like, <laughs> I feel like I know you. And I would say, well, yeah, I, I work in radio, you know, and I try to pl- play it down. Oh, which radio station? Uh, JYY or the Wolf or the Hawk or, you know, whatever, Frank FM or whatever the, the stations were. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, I listen all the time. And then they think, and then they think it's great and cool and everything. And, and I'm gracious about it. But I'm just, I'm just me. Like I, I'm really, I'm, I'm nothing great. I'm just a human, like everybody else. <laughs> I, I lived in Nashville for a while, and and people would would meet these celebrities, and they would just like fall all over themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I never did. I mean, we it was, we're all human. Like we all, just, we, we're all just living our lives. I, I I bumped into Billy Ray Cyrus one time at the height of his career, uh, down in a little. Uh, quick stop convenience store and i mentioned to some people um, about it and they said oh what, what did you say i said excuse me <laughs> <laughs> i mean i literally bumped into each other wa- walking in and out the door he had a, a paper bag he's walking out and, and i'm walking in they said well, you didn't say anything else i said what else was i gonna say like you know, i'm sure if, if he was a plumber or something i wouldn't care like why why do that you know um, so, so, you know, people would say, oh, I've, I've heard your voice or recognize you and they think it's cool. Yeah, it's great. I appreciated, you know, the, the, their support and all, but I would think, man, if a nobody like me gets recognized maybe once a month because of my voice, how do people like Hugh Jackman live or mm-hmm. Tom Cruise or, or any of these people? Like, you can't go anywhere so yeah i'm I'm very happy being (laughs) reasonably anonymous (laughs) i think that you you end up hiring uh professional buffers uh to to get in front of all yes someone had asked me they were joking about you know getting a a book signed uh, a couple of weeks ago and and they they asked if uh if they needed their people to to talk to my people i so actually i said i'm so famous now my my people have their own people (laughs) <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's okay so well then i'll have my, my my people's people talk to your people's people i said we have to get through my posse first 
Okay, so there's, there's all these different levels of people. Right. And, I've got a hype know. man, a lighting right. guy, right. Don't a forget fan the, guy. Yeah, you can't machine. forget the street crew. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Dance oh, yeah. crew. You got to get through my dance-off team. Yeah. It's highly, highly organized. Yeah. yeah. If you could call Billy Ray Cyrus, he's my publicist these days. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so. but, but it's uh, it, it it has been enjoyable, kind of watching myself go from this transition to from um, yeah, and my college is going through the college I graduated is going through a name change, and so I've been kind of looking back on on life then and and where we were all planning to go from from there forward, and I I didn't know if I was going to be in I I, I had a mass media communications major with a an art a studio art minor. And so I didn't know if I was going to be staying in radio, uh, if I wanted to get into the music business, if I wanted to do, I, I wasn't big into TV, but I really liked acting. So I had a motion picture course and I, I was in the, the drama club in, in high school as well as college. You know, we helped do some sets, you know, the, the tour, the Avita tour came to the, the college. And so I helped them get that set up and all. And, you know, so I didn't know where I was going to end up and I ended up spending, you know, 20, 25 years in radio, um, doing all this writing on the side. Do you think of the background in a, in a conscious way? Do you think of your background in theater and performance being leveraged in your writing? I mean, more, more so than being able to turn around a thought in a concise number of words. Do you, do you think about the pacing and, and things like that with, with your writing that you may have picked up from theater and performance? And um, I think, I think, I mean, it's certainly the you know, word economy is important in, in radio um, and, and, and in poetry and in writing the commercials. You, know, mm -hmm. you cannot, it's got to be a 30 second commercial or it's got to be 60 <laughs> second. You cannot have anything extraneous. And, um, and, and, and before I get to, to specifically that question, you know, when you're writing a, a radio commercial, it's the same structure, and I've done some blog posts about this. The same structure holds true whether it's a novel, whether it's a picture book, whether it's a radio commercial. You grab the attention of the person either listening or reading. You grab their attention. You draw them in with some sort of emotional cue. You present the problem. You present the solution. And you conclude with the resolution. Again, it could be a 30-second commercial, or it could be, you know... Dune. <laughs> um, but e either way, it, it's still at, at its heart. It's the same kind of structure. Um, so I think you know, with with my background in theater and and I've I've I love movies and and uh, all kinds of storytelling. And so I I think all of that has sort of played into my understanding of pacing. When I write a picture book, nine times out of ten. I have an idea in mind for page turns as I'm writing it. I may change it as I go along, but very rarely will I write the story completely and then go back and look and say, okay, so where's where's this spread? Where's this page turn? Where's this page turn? I've got that in my mind right as I'm, as I'm writing along. Mm -hmm. and, and it probably has something to do with my poetry background as well because when you're writing poetry, especially free verse poetry, uh, and I read a lot of rhyme, but I, I do a lot of free verse, and and free verse, it it may not have uh, any, it may not be tied to rhyme or meter or things like that, but there are certain things that you need to pay attention to when you're writing free verse, and and a lot of and part of that is 
is the rhythm and pacing, the enjambment, as we call it. How do you how do you break a line? Do you break a line in the middle of a sentence? Why do you do that? And and it, and there's a lot of thought involved when you read a free verse poem and you see that the poet ended a line kind of on a, a, a maybe a weird word. Maybe you're thinking like, why why would you break the line that way? There's probably a reason why they did it that way. And, and, and that helps with pacing the poem. And, and so in, in picture book writing, I, I, I almost can't not think about pacing. And, and I know some people say, well, you know, you, editors, editors don't like uh, picture books that have, um, that have been paginated because that's their job. I'm not going to worry about that. Honestly, uh, I, I have, I've had a, at least a couple of editors uh, when they've, when they've expressed interest in my book and, and even flashlight night, the, the first book that, uh, that came out in 2017, the editor, cause this was 2015 that we signed the contract. And so one of her first questions, once I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to, to publish with you. Uh, Rebecca Davis, she asked me, she said, have you thought about page turns? And I said, actually, I have, because <laughs> I had sent her just the basic <laughs> manuscript, uh, but but I already had a manuscript written out with with page turns. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I can I can send that along to her. So I, so I so I sent it, and I think there were maybe only maybe only two spreads that got changed from what I had initially uh, oh, wow. envisioned, and one of them was because there there's one spread that's completely wordless that we allow the illustrator Fred Kaler to, mm. to kind of show everything that's happening. Um, so we, we altered that, but I, I think if I remember correctly, I don't think there was a whole lot of change in the, in the pagination, you know, in, in the spreads, uh, she was pretty happy with the way I done it. So I, I figure, and I do know edit, some editors prefer to do the spreads themselves. That's their job. And so they want to do it. You know, if an editor, the, so the way I look at it, if I send a paginated manuscript for a picture book to an editor and they're going to be that bent out of shape that I, I showed yeah. spreads. I'm not sure I really want to work for them. <laughs> you know, really, yeah, right, I, I, I'm, right. I'm showing you that I understand pacing. I'm showing you that I, this, because writing a picture book is not just writing the words. It's understanding pacing. It's understanding that you have to allow an illustrator to show part of the story. If you say, you know, it was a black dog, why does it have to be black? Unless it's absolutely pertinent to the story, and that dog has to be black, don't don't say it has to be black. Don't say don't give an illustrator note. You know, the the dog goes running down the street to the next house, unless that's an absolutely imperative part of the plot. Leave it out, you know. So I, I and and very few of my my books, unless they are like really really poetic and really illustration heavy where they need illustrative notes. I, I almost never give illustrative notes, but I always show page turns because I want the editor to realize I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional. I understand pacing and page turns and that sort of thing. And, and, and if you want to change it, you're the editor. You can change it all around if you want. But, but if you're going to be annoyed with me and say, oh, this, this guy, you know, paginated. And so I'm not going to bother looking at it. Well, good. good. I'm, glad. I'm glad we don't have to work together because really like, it, it's a collaborative effort. And, and I've, I've had zero, zero complaints from any editors about that. And I keep seeing people saying, oh, don't paginate. I, you know, I've heard it both ways, you know, pa- either paginate or don't. 
And for me personally, like, yeah, I pay attention to the pacing, but as far as pagination, I'm sort of like, well, I, you know, like, cause I've heard back and forth and I'm sort of like, well, I'm going to write it and I'll pace, you know, I'll pace it out according to what I, you know, how I write and where I see the tension building and dropping and whatever, right. and where I want a page turn. But as far as that goes, you know, then like you're saying, it's collaborative. So I, I'm hopeful that on the other end, you know, they do know what they're doing with page turns because <laughs> sometimes, you know, I'm like, yeah, maybe I need a little bit of a, you know, a, an edge over here or, you know, we need to turn things around, but yeah, yeah, totally agree. And, and I, I got into this, uh, into to picture book writing, like I said, through, through poetry. Um, I know you had, uh, the flashlight night illustrator, Fred Kaler on recently and, and Fred sort of got into this backwards. You know, he had, he had gotten, uh, he started subbing, uh, novels and, and he said nobody wanted his novels. And so right, I, was yeah. trying to get, I was trying to get a poetry, a couple of poetry collections, published and you know, children's writing itself is a niche market it's really really hard um children's poetry is like the hardest niche you can possibly go for so so leave it to me you know that's that's the niche i was going for and and i was fortunate to meet a lot of really really kind highly esteemed folks in the industry um like uh, the, the late lee bennett hopkins um jane yolan nikki grimes all these people mm. who have have I've had the pleasure of, of not just meeting, but actually working with and writing poetry with. And, and I was able to, to take my love of, of poetry and, and develop it into a picture book writing. Now I'm still writing poetry. I've, I've still had a number of poems in different anthologies and, and, uh, and different things like that. But I've really been, I, I, I'm, amazed at how well I've been doing with the with the picture book writing. I just signed, um, so about a month or so ago, I signed uh, the contract for what would be my 13th book. So I've got 13 wow. either out or under contract right now. And I, I don't have an agent. Um, I can't find an agent, but I'm, I'm still writing. And I'm still getting, I'm still selling books. So I, I feel I feel grateful to the all the folks who've like I said who've helped me along the way. And I'm still going to keep writing poetry and still working towards that. But it's not, you know, it's not the only tool in, in the toolbox. I'm surprised. And it's, it's good for you to, um, to be able to be, to, to have the level of success that you're seeing without an, an agent. I'm surprised in a sense, since that is so contrary to the conventional wisdom again of yeah. You've got to get an agent. You've got to go through that professional filter before mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. get in the door of the publishing yep. world. I mean, is that another thing that you sort of credit to building a business around voiceover, understanding the, the, the ways in which you need to go out there and sell your own work directly to editors, directly to, you know, voiceover clients, potentially um, in ways that agents might? Well, I don't know <clears throat> if it is a direct result of... I don't know if the voiceover work is the direct result of me being able to to submit to the publishers. I know that I've gotten used to rejection over the years, so <laughs> subbing to to editors or agents is nothing unusual. Uh, it's not it's not anything that that stresses me out. Um, mm. You know, I, I I was I was a high school boy at one point. And I was rejected a lot. Um, 
I've been writing poetry, submitting to Mm -hmm. anthologies and literary journals, and I get rejected a lot. Mm -hmm. I have auditioned for plays, gotten rejected a lot. I've I've been on, I've done on camera work as well as voiceover work and, and you get rejected a lot. Uh, Welcome to literature and children's writing where, where you get rejected. Just life in general, really. I mean, it's a good lesson, you know, to sort of become immune to rejection. Because if you don't, I mean, what will you ever accomplish? You know, like you'll just stop asking, you'll stop trying, you'll stop putting yourself out there. I saw a TED Talk recently. I'll pull it up and put it in the TED Talk or the show notes if I can find it. But this guy did an actual experiment on rejection. And he just started, he's like, I'm going to start small. I'll start going out and just asking for ridiculous stuff at just, you know, expecting to get rejected. And he ended up just like his findings were kind of incredible. You know, like the more he asked, the more people were actually willing to, you know, go ahead with what he had asked. But the stuff was so ridiculous. He had no expectations. And it's kind of that's that's sort of what he's saying in essence, you know, like you get rejected enough, you don't have these expectations that are so high that you're getting constantly knocked down. You're sort of like, well, you know, that happened. And then when you get when you don't get rejected, it's a pleasant surprise, you know? And so you're right. that's sort of like the playing field you want to be working with, you know what I mean? Where you're like, all right, well, another rejection, whatever, but at least, you know, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep trying this and working and you know, Yeah, and forward. you have to understand that, you know, an editor or an agent, if they if if they're rejecting your manuscript, it doesn't mean they're rejecting you. It feels mm-hmm. that way to the uninitiated. Right. I, I get it, but but you know, you, you submit a say a dinosaur book to publisher A. Well, they just put out three different dinosaur books. They don't need another one. Yours was really written well, but they just don't need one. You submit to publisher B. Um, they they do. Uh, they're big into um, say. Uh, of cultural um, diversity and, and, and that sort of thing. Like they, they don't even care about dinosaur books. Maybe mm-hmm. you submit one and, and they don't do anthropomorphic animals. They only want real life. Like there's, there's a myriad reasons. Maybe the, I, I know an editor who doesn't like uh, first person and she doesn't know why mm-hmm. she, she told me, she's like, <laughs> you know, I, cause I submitted a, a, a manuscript to her. I've submitted a few to her and, and I'm, I'm on good terms with a number of agents. I, I, I get along with several of them. No, none of them want to pick me up, but that's okay. For, <laughs> for whatever reason, like you know, they don't do right. um, necessarily maybe the type of books that I do. They're more into the mm-hmm. typical, the, the, the standard narrative, like the, the Freitag's pyramid, the exposition, the rising action, the climax at the mm. top, the descent, you know, that kind of thing. Once upon a time, Billy did this and then Sally did this other thing and together they went and did this other thing. I, I don't write a lot of that. Uh, mm. My books like Flashlight Night, Once Upon Another Time, um, the new one that's coming out November 30th, I Am Today. Mm. Uh, I've got another co- a couple more that are on the way. Are They're very poetic and they they eschew kind of the typical narratives and, and some some people love that some people just don't get it um, but this one particular editor uh, agent she she told me she's like I really like the manuscript I just don't like first person huh. and she just couldn't yeah. she couldn't get around that and and that's fine you know you just keep moving on she didn't say she hates me and and get out of my life <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna call the cops you know but. You, you have right. to just keep at it, keep on going. Now, if 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 
every editor you send to, you know, three or four editors say, I'm just not feeling like the main character is fleshed out enough. Well, then maybe the main character isn't fleshed out enough, right? Right. But but you, you know that's that's worth paying attention to. <clears throat> just like your critique group, you know, one says, "Well, I don't, I can't really identify with the main character." The other one says, "Oh, I, I love the main character." <laughs> okay, well, six of one, half dozen of the other. You know, you, you just kind of have to go with your with your gut. The the great poet uh, Donald Hall, a former U.S. poet laureate. He's he's from uh, just used to live just about 20 minutes from, from where I am. Uh, in fact, we're at the, we live at the base of Mount Kearsarge, which is a mountain that he wrote quite a bit about. Uh, Donald mm-hmm. Hall had a, a little informal critique group uh, back in his day, Galway Cannell and, and all these like big name you know, poets. And, and I, I forget exactly how Donald phrased it, but he said something, something to the effect of, uh, you know, he, he would send these poems out to some of his friends Half of them would want him to change the first half of the poem. The others wanted him to change the second half of the poem. And he decided he was just going to throw it all in and just become like a baker or something and just give it all up. <laughs> you know, and he was saying that sarcastically, but, but it's true for all of us. You know, you, you, you have to kind of take whatever criticism you get for what it's worth. If three or four or five people are all saying the same thing about the manuscript. Uh, you know, it feels short. Uh, the ending feels like uh, it comes too quickly or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, whatever the critique is, you may want to take that to heart. If, if one of them says, oh, this part's great. And the other one thinks the other part is, is wrong or whatever. You know, just, you kind of have to go with your gut, but you cannot give up. And I know people who, who have submitted really good, manuscripts that I've critiqued really good manuscripts and they've sent them out twice mm. oh they're both rejected I'm horrible I should never have done this and they put it away and they they give up writing oh, and it's gosh. just it's so sad like please don't do that you got to keep at at it I've, I've got the the once upon another time that came out back in March that went through 24 rejections before Naomi Kruger at Beaming Books said, I love it. I want this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, the, the, the book I just, um, that I just signed a couple of months ago, 25 rejections before this publisher picked up. And it's, it's a small independent publisher, but and I can't say anything because they haven't announced it. It's a small mm-hmm. independent publisher, but they are a highly regarded publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for being a small publisher, they are highly esteemed. I couldn't be happier that I'm with these people. And, um, but 25 rejections, you know, if I'm, I had given up after 24, where would I be? <laughs> right. And I actually, right. So just to circle back around to flashlight night really quick. So I, I've seen you say this in several different forums, but the one I remember most recently is in PB chat when we had, I think it was a month ago when he did, um, talking about like dark and subversive storylines. And you said originally, right? Like flashlight night had been sort of um, thought to be maybe too dark, right? Too scary. And so if you, yeah, if you had changed your mind and I also saw just, just to put this in your brain too, the last PP chat about holiday books. So you've been, you've you have a manuscript out there with monsters in it, right? Mm, But it keeps getting rejected because they say it has a Halloween theme, which it does not. It just has monsters, right? But if you keep mixing those around, then where, where are you at? Right. It's gotten, um, it's gotten rejected by, by a few different 
folks, you know, some some of them I don't even know why. I, on on two different occasions, though, the editors have liked the book, and they've brought it to acquisitions. And and if you're just getting into children's lit now, you don't realize how how big a say sales and marketing has mm. uh, 20, 30 years ago, an editor could say, I love this book. We're going to buy it sales. You go sell it. Mm. Nowadays they have the acquisitions meeting. And if sales or marketing doesn't feel that they can sell it, they put the kibosh on it and it goes mm. nowhere. And so that's happened twice. Uh, and, and one of the publishers was a pretty good sized publisher. And I, I would have loved to have been with them. And marketing said, and and both the the uh, the editor I was talking to, as well as the senior editor, they both liked it, and they're both disappointed that they couldn't do it. But marketing said uh, it has monsters, it has too much of a Halloween vibe. It has mm. nothing to do with Halloween. It it's like a, a a day in the life of different monsters waking up in the morning, having breakfast, going to school, doing their has zero to do with with Halloween. And so, you know, I was thinking, okay, so, uh, you know, we better, we better, you know, cancel Peter Rabbit because it has too much of a Halloween or an Easter vibe, you know, <laughs> like just because, right, really, just because it has monsters right. has a Halloween vibe. Um, but and yeah, and, and getting back to what you were saying about Flashlight Night. So I, I had received a, uh, a critique, a manuscript critique before it got picked up uh, by a, a well-established author. And, uh, and it was great. I mean, we, we spent a good hour on the phone talking and, but but almost everything that she had suggested was going to take away from from my book. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt that you know being dark at night it was kind of scary. Um, flashlights usually will will shine the reality on you know they'll, they'll shine what's re, what's real so that the kids aren't scared of the dark because what's in the, the darkness mm-hmm. is the scary part and the the beam of the flashlight is the safe part. And mm-hmm. um, she thought, you know, the kids are going into a tomb. That might be too dark and scary. Um, you know, all the things that make the book unique. And one of the things she said, um, and I could tell, now I was I was new to the, the business. I wasn't new to writing, but I'm new to writing picture books and and children's lit in general. So I was, I was new to this. I, I'm still learning. And so I could tell that she was trying to, maybe like break it to me gently she says <laughs> she says uh, you know the, the way the way it's written um the 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 story is um it's it's told it's told <laughs> so i just i just finished the sentence for her. i said it's it's told from the point of the flashlight she said you know that I said yes. I wrote it that way. It's right. it's technically a, right. It's technically a second person point of view. It's the flashlight leads you past old post and rail. It shines a path where waters rush. It helps you climb aboard. It illuminates this. It does that. You know, it's it's the flashlight that's doing all this thing for for you. And I said I I wanted the reader to be the one on the adventure. There's no you know. There's three kids in the book. Okay, there's th- the, the way the book, the narrative of the book is three kids leave their house. They may or may not be related, but three kids leave the house. They go to their tree house and they have, uh, they, they see a, uh, a giant sea monster, the, you know, the Kraken. They come across a pirate. Uh, there's a hot air balloon and a, a scary tiger. And none of that is in my text. I didn't write any of that um the fact that that the 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 action occurs within the beam of the flashlight that 
darkness is just boring reality, like the tree is just a tree, but in the beam of the flashlight, it's the tentacles to the, the sea monster. The pool is just a pool in the darkness, but in the beam of the flashlight, it's the ocean, and the beach ball mm-hmm. becomes the hot air balloon. And, and if you pay attention, uh, there's a, a giant statue of a dog, but if you pay attention, a little tip of his ear is in the dark, and you can tell it's just a real dog. That was all Fred Kaler's idea. Um, adding the tiger and the pirate. I, me- I mentioned th- they climb aboard a vessel. I don't say what kind of vessel. I let the illustrator decide what he was going to do. Um, the, the flashlight uh, opens up uh, a peculiar door. Mm-hmm. I don't say why it's peculiar. <laughs> I, I, I figured, you know, and, and uh, a good friend of mine, David Elliott, who's a children's writer himself, he just lives up the road from me. And uh, he was looking at the manuscript. I'd asked him if he'd, t- he'd take a look at it. And he said, um, he said, any reason why the, the door is peculiar? I said, I have no idea. Figured I'll let the illustrator handle it. <laughs> he said, oh, good, good idea. Uh, so, that's so a, all I mean, these... that's an... Sorry, I was just going to say oh, yeah. it's an illustrator's dream. I mean, right. Fred and that's Taylor... how Fred, yeah, that's how he, he approached it. He just loved being able to just jump in with both feet. And exactly. Have at it. Yeah. And I, he didn't say this in, in our interview, but I read this somewhere else he actually took a trip to Europe to go and check out, you know, like all of these yes. like crazy castles and this cool like architecture. And he got a lot of his inspiration oh, yeah. for the pictures for your book from that, which is, I mean, yeah, it's I incredible. That. I, I mention a lot of that in uh, when I do my school presentations for Flashlight Night uh, because he, he shared some of the photos and sketches that he had done while he was over there. And I told him, I said, I got to remember this. The next time I write a book, I got to, I got to take my trip before I write the book because <laughs> like, that's a write-off, you know, it's a two right. trip to the UK. He's working. <laughs> He's literally working. Um, the path, the, uh, the, the, the scary path where they, um, where they, they go in right towards the beginning of the book. It was yeah. a beautiful little country path, daylight shining. He took a photo and he turned that in to, to something scary. Um, he mm-hmm. found the path where, where the waters are rushing and he, he used that. The, um, his, you see his version of the Cuddy Sark in the middle of the book, you know, the, the sailing ship there's, um, and that big rock outcropping, uh, that's like this big U shaped, um, stone that, uh, if you look at the book, you see the Kraken is in the foreground, the ship is in the background, and we're looking through this giant round stone arch that sort of frames everything. And that actually exists. That's, it's known as Dirtledore. It's off the coast of Dorset. And if you Google Dirtledore, yeah. you're going to see photos of, yeah. of of people sunning themselves. It's like it's a beach. People are in their bathing suits just chilling beside this great big huge stone <laughs> arch. And when he saw that, he says, oh, my gosh, I got to I got to include this in the book. So, yeah, uh, you know, I let him do all of that. And that's how I really like writing my books, uh, whether it's that or Once Upon Another Time that I wrote with uh, Father Goose, Charles Guigne, um, and and a couple of the other books that are coming out, um, including the, the one November 30th, I Am Today, uh, from Pow Kids Books. The, I, I like setting up this story skeleton, as I say, uh, a, a framework that has enough of a narrative that an editor and an illustrator can kind of see see what I'm getting at. They can see the narrative or they can see the, the, the chronology or the progression of, of what could happen. And then I just let them go at it and, and do their thing. You know, in the case of flashlight night, the only illustrator note I included was at the very end. And I said, 
there's a child reading a book by flashlight. So, and that oh. way, the, it made sense for an editor because they're seeing, they're just reading the text. So you're going from a, a wooded path to an ocean, to a tomb, to all these different things. And and then they climb into uh, to a window. Okay, well, now it makes sense. They were on an adventure because of the books. If I didn't have that illustrative note, none of that would have made sense. Um, for Once Upon Another Time. Uh, Charles Ganey had written the first couple of stanzas. Uh, he wasn't sure where to go with it, what to do with it. So he asked me, you know, do you have any ideas what, to what we could do for a picture book? So I, I thought about it for a while and I said, well, we can, he starts off saying, you know, once upon another time in a land of long ago, mountains peaked through the clouds, bright with fallen snow, sparrows rode the breeze. And there were uh, all these beautiful things as grass was green. And I said, let's show what the world used to be like compare it to what it is now and then show kids how they can still experience that world today. Um, so I wrote a few more par- uh, uh, stanzas to kind of follow up his and then we put it together and, and, and that's, that's the entire structure from, from our point of view, from the two authors, we present what's the world was used to be like, uh, what it's like now, you know, there, there were no airplanes flying past a smoggy sun. There were no phones or internet. The webs were spider spun. And then we show what, what you can do. You can take a step outdoors, breathe in air that once was shared by monstrous dinosaurs, mm-hmm. feel the wind upon your skin. Imagine where that wind has been. And to the sky, the sun will climb just as it did another time. So we've set up this structure and Andre Landazabal, uh, who's a Colombian art- artist, illustrator, uh, and animator, and and we just let him go to it. You know, he took that that skeletal framework and and did his own thing. Same thing with I Am Today that comes out November thirtieth. Patricia Pessoa had my text, and I and the only illustrator note I said was, "There's a child who sees some sort of injustice." I don't know what it is. Maybe there's a park being torn down for a parking lot. Maybe there's a bully at school. I mean, there's some sort of injustice. She decides she doesn't want to wait to be the future because we're always telling kids, you are the future. She doesn't want to wait to be the future. She wants to be today. She wants to make a change now. So that's where we got the idea I am today. So, and again, and it's not really an illustrator note. I mean, it's just explaining my text. Like there's a child that sees an injustice and they decide to make a change. And other than that, if you can call it an illustrator note, the rest of it was my text. And I don't say there's this little girl who sees uh, pollution in the ocean and it's affecting the sea turtles and she feels like she needs to do something to, to help them. And mm-hmm. so she uh, has an idea to create a bunch of origami turtles that she sends off on the, on the breeze and the townspeople start seeing them and they rally together and they, they clean up the ocean and they save the turtles. I don't, none of that, none of that is in my text. I, I don't say any of that. It was all the illustrator. And again, that, that's what I love. I love creating these frameworks to say, okay, here's the text. You knock yourself out. Well, and the sort of through line that I'm building here is co- coming prepared, think things through, but don't necessarily lead with all of the detail. I mean, from, mm-hmm. from the having a sense of pagination to having a sense for how you, you may think the spreads should look, mm-hmm. but not, you know, forcing that vision upon your illustrator partner, your editor, or whoever it is, mm-hmm. um, really allows that deeper collaboration. 
Yeah, and 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 if, if people who like to do the um, you know the once upon a time there was this thing and then this thing happened and and then they tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and then they tried and succeeded you know the rule of threes as they call it the, the which mm-hmm. technically is the the Fichtean curve for all you academics out there um, yeah that, that's fine mm-hmm. I I don't have any problem with that I just I I, I really like the more poetic kind of way of of writing. Um, and, and I just want an, an editor or an agent, you know, when they see my submission, I want them to be able to read it because a lot of editors will read the manuscript before they even get to the query letter. So mm-hmm. be aware of that folks. The, the ears are perking up, right? I, I, I can hear the, the collective ears perking up. A lot of times an editor will, they won't, they're, they're busy. They don't have time for a lot of things, so they will read the first couple of paragraphs or the first page or so of the manuscript. If they like it, then they'll read the query letter. So I I want to make sure that they understand I know what I'm doing. I, I don't have necessarily the time to say, I, I mean, I've written these different books, and you can find me in the National Geographic Book of Nature Poetry, and this thing, that thing. and I, They may not even get to that. Um, so I try to be as explicit in, in showing my, my talent and my level of professionalism by the, the quality of the writing, the, the fact that I am paginating so that they realize I understand pacing, whether or not they like it or not. Um, and, and my, my friend, uh, I don't know if you know, Josh Funk, uh, he's a, a friend of mine, oh, yeah. Josh, sure. Josh and I, and uh, Paul Sajak, who did the monster and me series, we all met uh, through SCBWI at the same time, so we've all been kind of following each other's careers along. And 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 Josh gave me a, a good tip, which which I've held on to. He never stated that in, in his cover letters or his query letters, he never said it's a rhyming picture book, because so many rhyming picture books mm-hmm. are you know the, the, the manuscripts are so horrible and and and. and it's a sad fact. Like I'm not trying to insult anybody, but there's a lot of rhyming manuscripts written by people who are just getting into the biz. They don't know how mm-hmm. to rhyme. The rhymes are either not perfect, like rhyming can with ham or the mm-hmm. meter is off. And, and so he doesn't want them to have any sort of negative attitude or, or bias going into it. He, he yeah. just says, it's a picture book. I'll let you read it. And, and so I, I've, I've been doing that as well. I figure I don't need, I'm a new guy. I mean, I may have, you know, these books to my name, but I've only been doing this for 10 years. So I'm, I'm still relatively new to the the biz and I don't need any strikes against me. So I, I want to mm-hmm. let the editor or agent just see what I can do and let my writing speak for itself. Well, um, one one note that I want to end on, and you've you've expressed yourself very humbly and collaboratively throughout the conversation. But what, one note that I want to end on that's that's particularly, um, uh, particularly Matt, I think, is that <laughs> I've I've seen this come up as we've arranged to interview and interacted on Twitter and things, and you seem to operate not only with a great deal of humility for the path that you've taken, but but with a lot of gratitude as well. Gratitude mm-hmm. for folks expressing you know, connection with you and a desire to see your work and all that. And where, um, I'm curious where that comes in or where, um, what it is that inspires you to sort of reach out in that, in that optional way and just express that to folks. In a way, there's not a lot that inspires me to do that. It's just, it's who I am. Like I, I've just, 
I, I try to be a good guy. I try to be a nice person, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the world could use a few of us, you know, um, <laughs> but, but I've been shown a, a lot of, a, a lot of support over the years. Um, when I, I went to my first SCBWI conference um, in New England, uh, when was it? 2011. So I joined my, my first SCBWI, which if people don't know, it's the Society of Children's Book Illustra- uh, Writers and Illustrators. And so I went to the, my first conference in Massachusetts in uh, spring of 2011, and I met Lynn Oliver, who's one of the, the, uh, the, the creators of it. She and her friend uh, Jane Yolen had gotten together with Stephen Moser out in California. And so when Jane left California to go back to Massachusetts, she started up the first sort of unofficial chapter of, of SABWI. So the New England chapter is, is the oldest chapter other than you know, the one out in California that started it. Oh. So I went to the first conference. I was talking to Lynn and uh, and my neighbor at the time, Tommy DePaula, who passed away a couple of years ago. And and Lynn said, well, if you write poetry, you need to get in touch with Lee Bennett Hopkins. Like he's he's the poetry guy. Uh, and I had no idea who he was, but I, I looked him up when I got home. And, and he was actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for the number of children's poetry anthologies that he had uh, collected had had put together, which wow. is almost 130. He passed away about two years ago, but Lee wow. l- literally almost 130 poetry anthologies, not counting the, the books of his own that he did. Um, and so I, I ended up uh, the, the story of how we met is kind of a long story, but we met online. He liked what I uh, what I was doing, and he offered to try to help me out. Uh, he requested uh, some poetry of mine for numerous anthologies that he put together, uh, school people, construction people, and uh, Lullaby and Kiss the Sweet and, and several others. Um, I started meeting, and, and I actually met my Flashlight Night editor, Rebecca Davis, through Lee. Uh, he introduced mm-hmm. us. Um, I got to meet J. Patrick Lewis, former children's poet laureate, who included a couple of my poems in two of his National Geographic books. Um, Charles Guigna, Father Goose, we met online. He told me uh, he, he was uh, he was a big fan of mine, and I'm thinking I I don't know why, but but thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember wow. several years ago, it was maybe five, six, seven years ago. Nikki Grimes started following me on Twitter. I said, uh, "Oh, Nikki, thanks for following." She's, "Oh, yeah, I'm glad to. I'm a big fan." And I remember thinking, <laughs> "You're Nikki Grimes. Why are you a fan of me?" Uh, but, but I've but I've been able to meet you know her and and Jane Yolen and and Marilyn Singer and Joy Sidman and and Alan Wolf and like all these all these people who have just such gravitas in the children's lit world, particularly in children's poetry. And, and, and I, and, and I'm not trying to like drop names, but the, the, the point is that these people are at the upper echelon of the world of children's lit. And I have not only been able to become friends with them. Um, I, I, I owe Rebecca K. Dotlich and, um, and the late Paul Janesco. I give them credit for, my next book that's uh, that I just signed there about a month or so ago, that manuscript has been, I've been pushing it forever, but they're the reasons why I, I wrote it. Um, and so I, I mentioned these people because they have all kinds of work they're doing. They have all kinds of awards to their name. And, and like I said, this, this gravitas among the children's poetry world. And yet they were all very sweet, supportive, helpful, kind, and I have been able to not only become friends with them, but I've worked with all of them um, to, to be able to actually work work with them. I, I, I told my wife um, 
last year, year and a half ago, I was working with Nikki and Jane on a couple of poems that they were writing. I said, I just helped Jane Yolen and Nikki Grimes write a poem. So this is really surreal. This is bizarre <laughs> for me. But they're but they're all wonderful folks. And 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 uh, you know the late great Lee Bennett Hopkins. You know he was so supportive. And uh, I, I it's not that I feel like I need to pay it forward. I, I do, um, but I just feel like it's it's it shouldn't even be a matter of I should pay it forward. It's a matter of I should be a good person. Like you know, it's just. You know that, that's what you do in in life, and not just in this business, but in anything. If you helped me in any way, gave me a cup of sugar, uh, I'll give you a couple of the cookies I was making. Like it's it's that's the way we should all be, uh, whether it's children's lit or or cooking or plumbing or whatever it is. And we should just be kind and supportive to everybody. And maybe I'm a Pollyanna, but but you know the world would be a lot better off if we were like that. So I'm just I'm just trying to do my part at, at being a, a good guy, you know. Yeah. Well, and and circling back with that same consistency with you know being a good guy, I'm also just a guy back with your radio roots. You know, if you mm-hmm. recognize me on the street, it's just because I'm a normal person who also shops for groceries and also right. thank you for selling me groceries. <laughs> Exactly. My friend Marty <laughs> Kelly, uh, just uh, he, he's sharing a manuscript uh, with me and a couple of others the other night, and it's about a kid who's uh, in the store and they see um, they see their teacher, and like, what are you doing here? <laughs> right. And I told him, I said that's great because my, my my kids and everybody's kids are like that. You know, they they they're in the store, they see their teacher. Why are you here? Right, because I need school. I need groceries. Yeah, just like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I told him. I said that I can't believe no one's written a book about that yet. So he's he's working on that. Um, but but yeah, you know, no matter what the degree of of celebrity that you have, um, we're all just people, you know. Yeah. Well, Matt, we, I mean, we really appreciate you coming on because we feel the same about you, the way you feel Thank about, you. you know, like Jane Yolen. I mean, you've got 13 books to your name. You say you've only been doing it for 10 years, but I mean, we're, I, I'm so just blown away by your work. And so. Thank you. I that, just, that means, that means I, a lot. I, I really, well, I, and I really feel your gratitude on Twitter too. I mean, you've, you've tagged me a couple of times, you know, to say, oh, thanks for following me. Thank you yeah. for, you know, asking me on the podcast. Like I, you you are you're a good guy, and we all really appreciate your your energy out there in the kidlet world. Um, I, I appreciate that. You, Again, that's just something I, I try to I, I try to post these little gratitude posts just for for anyone who's who's either yeah. that says something of support or shared something or retweeted something or or whatever you know just just uh, you know trying to give them some props and and give them some notice. Totally. I mean, and we. We notice too. Yeah, we we notice <laughs> yeah. and we and we appreciate it. Can you can you tell our listeners where to find you? What you know, where to find your upcoming books? What you've done? Where your blog is? Sure. Um, so I, I it, it's hard not to find me, uh, and I apologize. <laughs> um, so there's mattforest.com, two, two T's, two R's, and that has all the links to everything. I'm on Instagram. You can find me on uh, IG. There's uh, mattforest.wordpress.com for my blog. Um, Facebook. Uh, I haven't been up. I should be updating my Pinterest, but I haven't gotten around to doing that mm, yet. But yeah, uh, but yeah. I mean, I'm on SoundCloud. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, way, I'm in way more places than than anybody really should. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a and a final plug to go visit your website because you've got some of your vocal work 
up there for folks. Yes, can, thank you. Yeah, I have my voiceover demos there, and um, and you can see the covers of all my books, the, the books that I have um, published that are, are my own, as well as the poetry collections, like uh, School People, Construction People, which was awesome. Thank you again. I re- really appreciate it. It was oh, so nice of you to, to have me. Of on. course, our pleasure. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Matt, for sitting down with us today. As a reminder, the release date for Matt's new book, I Am Today, is December 21st. Pre-order links are live on his website, and again, that's mattforest.com. Episode 30 of You May Contribute a Verse is a homespun production, produced, edited, recorded, conceptualized, and marketed by Josh Munkin and me, Brenna Jenneret. Hit us up at verse.show and find the show and Josh on Twitter as at verseshow. That's B-E-R-S-E. S-H-O-W. Find me on Twitter at Brenna Jenneret. That's B-R-E-N-N-A-J-E-A-N-N-E-R-E-T. The artwork for You May Contribute a Verse is an amazing picture commissioned for the podcast by a very talented artist, Charlie Munkin, age eight. Thanks, Charlie. The show's music is provided graciously by Robbie Zarr via tracks from his album, A Tragic But Happy Horse. Engage with his music and musings at Partist.com. That's P-A-R-T-I-S-T.com. If you have a minute, let us know what you think with a comment or a rating. It means a lot. And remember the answer. You are here, that life exists, and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse.